0: I want to start by sharing with you a testimony, a personal testimony, and I pray to God that you would not misunderstand it, but you will receive it for the glory of God and that your edification, your challenge, it's a testimony. Like all of you, we have some milestones in our lives, some stones of remembrance that we place in order to remember the faithfulness of God. So when we go through a dark time, God will remind us, the Holy Spirit says, remember Some of these are humongous. Some of them are small, but we remember them all. And it's what I call in the walk of faith, as we walk in faith with Jesus, I call those uh, growth spurts. (laughs) Just like young people, when they're growing, they they go through growth spurts. They're growing all the time, but then there's a time when they really grow. And that's what happens in the walk of faith as well. And if you have never experienced one of these, I pray to God that you start today. (laughs) You'll never be the same. This was back in 1978. We have been living in the United States for about a year in California. I was doing my graduate studies there. We had two small children at the time, and I had a part-time job that basically covered two-thirds of our needs. The other third was met by savings and came out of sale of our furniture in Australia and my wife cashing Uh, her teacher retirement fund. And so we were able to supplement our income. These resources, after a year, they're coming to an end. The important part is this. A year earlier, the Lord had convicted me that though I'm ordained to the ministry, I'm unfaithful with my tithe and offering. And That conviction began, so a year later, we are faithful with God with our tithe and offering. Yes, I was unfaithful. Even though I was ordained, I felt that God has locked out when He called me to the ministry. I'm full-time ministry. Why should I tithe? And the Holy Spirit kept saying, "Yusuf, put the cash in there. We were supported by no one. We had no church support. We had no mission organization support. We had help from no one. We were on our own. So after 12 months of our personal resources, ran out. But we stayed faithful with God with our tithing. We made the promise, and we want to keep our promise with our tithing and with our offering. And as always the case, the test will come. And the test came. What do you do? We run out. I could rationalize it that I'm full-time ministry People supposed to tithe to support those in ministry. And it was a real temptation. Make no mistake about it. And if you think your pastor does not face temptation, you're living in another planet. These were temptation to doubt the promises of God and the provision of God. They were real temptations. Temptation that says, be realistic. Don't be doggedly legalistic. Be realistic. Don't keep on trusting these promises of God. Temptation that says may not be now. On and on and on and on. I won't get into it. My tithing check was due, and I looked in the bank account, and my tithing amount was exactly what I had in the bank. Exactly. If I write a check and I put it in the offering plate, we will have nothing. The bank will call us. (laughs) And so I came up with this ingenious idea of not putting the check in the offering plate, but write the check and send it in the mail. Back then, not like today when you get it so fast, I mean, back then it would take a couple of weeks to clear. And so, Monday morning, I wrote the check, and I walked to the post office of the school where I was at the time, and I mailed the check in the box, and turned around, literally around the corner, and went to my box, my post office box that I had in the school, and I opened it. It was a matter of a minute or two. And as I opened that box, there was a thick envelope, And as I opened that thick envelope, I found 13 $100 bills. I counted them again and again. Yes, there were 13. (laughs) There was a note with it. It says, to most people who are superstitious, the number 13 is very negative. But to us, it's really a good number. We love it. And so we're sending you a $13,100 bill to thank you for doing our wedding last month. They already gave me a gift, so I assumed that was it. I tell you truthfully, I just sat in a corner and wept at the faithfulness of God, the incredible faithfulness of God. And that amount literally supplemented our income until we finished and went to work full-time. As I said, this is one of these milestones in our lives that the Lord used to grow us in faith, to trust Him, to trust His promises, to keep our side of the condition of the promises. And from that time, we have gone way beyond the tithe. We have been going up every year, and God blesses in ways that I could never explain to you from the human perspective, how God blesses us. Now, tithing should be the starting point, not the end point. It's the starting point. Somebody said, well, shall I tithe before the tax or after tax? Do you want to be blessed before tax or after tax? (laughs) But you see, after that time, not only that I've experienced the unbelievable blessing of God in ways I cannot describe, but for the last 40 years, I got to meet some wonderful, faithful people who are so faithful with God who became role models for me. I also watched through the years, and I saw how some people nickel and dime God. You know what I'm talking about? They nickel and dime Him. As a consequence, they never experience the abundance of God. I know and you know that today the word faith gets bandied about, just like the word love gets bandied about without proper understanding or even definition. My faith, your faith, and the one that gets to me, faith-based, what does that mean? You take God in the end of it, and it says it's a faith-based, and they have faith in you, have faith in the end, have faith in your mother-in-law, have faith in it. It's just amazing. Now, faith means anything you want to mean. When it comes to the Christian faith, the word simply means that you are trusting in the promises of God no matter what. In the dark times and in the good times, yet you're trusting in God. That you trust God for your salvation, why can't you trust Him on a daily basis? You see, the word faith starts, but the time when we come to Jesus, we come to Him by faith, not by works. But then most people stop <laughs> and they try to finish by work. And he, faith continues on a daily basis. But faith and trust, you got to trust in something that is promised. If I say to you, meet me at such a such time and at such a such place, you show up believing that I'm going to be there. Why? Because you take me at my word. You, you, you know that I'm a trustworthy person, and therefore, unless I'm dead, I'm going to be there, right? And I'm a man. <laughs> I'm only a mere human. But what if that person says, you know, I know he said that, but I don't know if he really meant it. Well, I know he said this, but um, I don't know if he keeps his word. I know he said this, uh, but I don't know if he's going to remember. I know he said this, uh, but I don't know if he's going to make it. And so you don't show up. And that is why trust can only be experienced in an exercise in a trustworthy person. Trust can be exercised in the person who's known to keep his word no matter what. But, listen carefully, if a person is trustworthy and known to keep his word, but I still don't trust him, where does the problem lay here? Actually, it's far bigger than you think. Listen carefully. When you don't trust a trustworthy person, you are insulting that person. You are bemeaning that person. You are offending that person, right? But when you place your trust in God's promises, when you act on the trust of God's promises, when you step out in the trust of God's promises, you can be absolutely sure that He will not only keep His promise, but He is honored by you trusting Him. I want to show you from the Scripture a biblical example that has challenged me for years of how this trust can bring about God's abundant blessing. So turn with me, please, to 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. A widow of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha. Elisha was the chief prophet at the time. He succeeded the prophet Elijah. So she cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. That is, he was faithful to God. He honored God with all his life. But now his creditors are coming to take my two sons as his slaves. Elisha replied and said to her, How can I help you? What do you have in your house? First she said, well, your servant has nothing there at all. And then she thought for a minute, it is really nothing. <laughs> but there is, or except a drop of oil, just a drop. Elisha said to her, go and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Do not ask for just a few. Here's a Yusuf translation, don't be chinchy. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into the jars. And as each is filled, pull it aside. She left him, and afterward she did what he said, and she shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept on pouring. I'm taking liberty here, and she kept on pouring. When all the jars were full... She said to her son, "'Bring me another one.' But he replied, "'There is not a jar left.' Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, Elisha, and he said to her, "'Go, sell the oil, and pay your debts. Then you and your sons can live on what is left.'" Holy Spirit of God, you authored these words guiding the hands of your servants, and you author them so that here we are three thousand years or so later, can not only be challenged, but blessed, edified, and transformed by your power, Holy Spirit. Will you please take your words, apply them in our lives, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to answer what I'm going to ask you to yourself. I'm wondering what you were thinking as I'm reading the story. God doesn't work like this anymore. God wants us to use our minds. God wants us to use our abilities. This is unrealistic expectation. I know God provides, but I don't have to meet the conditions of the promises of God. This was Old Testament. It's between you and God. Answer them truthfully. (laughs) This widow hit rock bottom. And I mean, bottom means there is no bottom beyond that bottom. (laughs) This widow had less than nothing. This widow have not only been going to face bankruptcy, but... She was facing shame and degradation and desperation because slavery is what are awaiting her and her two sons. But then she remembered something. Back yonder in the Word of God, it says that God promised that He will never let the righteous be forsaken nor His children begging for bread. Listen. I know there is not one, at the sound of my voice, can be in this situation. No one in our culture, in our day-to-day. But wherever you are, it doesn't matter, wherever you are, (laughs) you can begin to act on that trust In the promises of God today, you can start to live in the land of the impossible. You can begin to move from trusting human logic to trusting in God's promises. You can begin to move from living by sight to living by faith. Now, amen belongs here. This widow did three things. First of all, she met the conditions of the promises of God. Secondly, she manifested confidence in God's provision. And thirdly, she maximized her capacity to receive from God. First, she met the conditions of God's promises. Verse 1, she said to Elisha the prophet, My dead husband was servant of God. My dead husband was faithful to God. My dead husband trusted in the promises of God. My dead husband met all the conditions of the promises of God, and he was faithful with God. Hear me right, please. This is important. For when the psalmist said, I was young, now I'm old, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his children begging for bread, that became her anchor. That became her anchor, that promise of God. Beloved Faithfulness to God brings about untold blessings, not only in this life, but to the next generation. Faithfulness carries the benefits to the next generation. Now, I know today there are lots of people who want God to bless them without meeting the condition of the promises of God. There are lots of people who want God to answer their prayer without the willingness to surrender to the will of God. And then they're surprised when things don't happen. There are lots of people to whom they view faith as ordering God about to do exactly what they command Him to do, and they think this is faith. But this godly woman did not place her faith in her good works, no, but in the faithfulness of God to keep His promises. There is a world of difference between the two. She did not even place her faith in the fact that her husband was faithful to the Lord. That was given. In fact, she said, you know. That is given. That is a fact. You you know all about it. Her faith was in God's unwavering commitment to keep His promise. Her trust was in in God's Word. (laughs) Her confidence was in the one who is no man's debtor or no woman's debtor. He is no one's debtor. He will not be beholden to you. He will not be indebted to you. That's really what it means. And she was saying, I know that God promised to be faithful to the righteous, but also to His offspring. She met the condition of the promise, secondly— She manifested confidence in God's provision. Look at verses 2, 3, 4, and 5. Elisha the prophet asked her, What do you have in your house? Well, first she said nothing, because really it is. I mean, you talk about a drop of oil in relationship to all her needs. thats nothing. (laughs) And she would be right. But then she wondered if God could use this nothing, which is a drop of oil, Please listen carefully. God's intention always, always to start with what you have. What she had was nothing. And she could have said, what's that in comparison to my needs? I might as well not even mention it. It is nothing to mention. It's so miniscule, you can't even talk about a drop of oil. And I've got all this debt. But that's not the issue. (laughs) No matter how little it is, God can multiply it. No matter how little it is, God wants to use it. No matter how little it is, God wants to enlarge it. No wonder God's Word said that God loves the cheerful giver. You notice he did not say he only loves the big giver. He's wonderful as that may be, (laughs) but he says he loves the cheerful giver. Literally, it means that God has a soft spot to the joyful giver. God has a soft spot to those hilarious givers. Do you know why? Do you know why? Because giving is the character of God. God is a giver, and that is why He has a soft spot for those who imitate Him. God loves all His children equally, but He does have a soft spot to the cheerful giver. So Elijah asked her, what do you have in your house? She said, a drop of oil. (laughs) And what Elisha saw is an oil factory. You might think it's a drop of oil, but I can visualize an oil factory. I know this is the testimony of many of you here listening to me or watching. I know this is your testimony. I know that. But for those who do not have that testimony, please listen to me. I pray that God would change that today. If you want to experience God's blessings, if you want to experience God's abundance, if you want to experience God's indescribable provision in every area, not just in one area, start trusting Him with the tithe. That's 10%. That's the starting point. And then keep going. Keep trusting Him keep trusting, and keep growing. I can tell you that you can expect two things if you do that. Two things. The first thing you should expect is the unbelievable attack of the enemy. He will bring doubt and fear and anxiety like you've never experienced before. He'll do it. Trust me. I know, and many of you know, this is absolutely true. But here's the second thing you should expect. That few years from now, as you look back, and I'm doing this deliberately, few years from now, as you look back, you're going to say, I have been blessed out of my socks. The reason I say few years is because several years ago, somebody came to me and said, you know, I've been tithing now for two months. Nothing's happening. (laughs) I said, go and try the slot machine, maybe even better. God is not looking for this kind of stuff. God is looking for a faithful heart that is going to be day in and day out, week in and week out, months in and months out, year in and year out. Imagine a farmer would just go and sow the seed, and then two weeks later he'd go and dig it up and say, hey, I want to say, how's it going? No, it doesn't work that way. Malachi chapter 3. When God's people came back from exile, and they were anxious, and they were worried, and they were hoarding everything and keeping it, and and God was trying to challenge them not to do that. He said, look what I've done for you. And in Malachi chapter 3, he says to them, you ties to the storehouse. And then he said, watch out and see how I'm going to open the windows of heaven. Now, none of us have ever seen the windows of heaven with our physical eyes. But Lord, have mercy, I have experienced those windows of heaven. And some of you did too overwhelming when those windows of heaven open. What do you have in your house? You know, I'll never forget, back in 2003, I was speaking in a, the city of Geelong, just outside of Melbourne, to a large rally, radio rally at the time. We just had radio, so I was over there and there was a large auditorium. And i make no bones about it. I have soft spot for kids. I love kids. I just do. When I'm in these rallies and, and other places, and I see a kid in the line, I kind of go in and grab him, and I want to talk to them first. God bless the adults. I just love kids. And this particular kid, 10 years old, named David, he literally had a cherubic face. And, and I, I shook his hand, and, and you can see he shyly was pressing something into my hand. And he and can say he's kind of self-conscious about it. And, and then I looked at it, and it was a 10 Australian dollars. And he said to me, he said, You know, I heard on the radio that you're coming to our town, and so I saved my whole month's allowance. I wanted to preach Jesus. So I went on one knee so I could look him at an eye level. And I held that ten dollars. I said, David, God not only going to multiply this and uses it to bless many, many lives. But you're going to grow up and be a great man of God. He's 23 now. I kept up with David. As a matter of fact, five years later, I was in Geelong, and one of the things I met sure they called his family. When they were out of town because of school vacation, so I didn't get it. But we stayed in touch. Beloved, God is asking every one of us today, "What do you have in your house?" Back then, they kept everything in the house. What do you have in your bank account? What do you have in your brokerage account? Are you hiding God's tithing money there? Are you hiding God's money in your accounts? Are you hiding what belongs to God in your house? This woman could have ignored the jar of oil or the drop of oil in her house and said, God doesn't need it. Of course He doesn't. God can do a miracle without it? Of course He could. Or, this is only a drop in the ocean? Yes, it was. Please hear me right. (laughs) The first step in trusting God's promises is visibly exercising confidence in the provision of God. So she met the condition. She manifested confidence. Thirdly, she maximized her capacity to receive from the hand of God. There are some people, and I heard it all through the years. When I make big money, I'll start giving. When I make a million dollars, I'll be a tither. When, and most times, actually, when those things happen, they never do. When my ships come to the harbor, how are you expecting some ships to come to the harbor when you never send some ships out? <laughs> Faith Acts at the front end. It doesn't take faith to act at the back end. Faith acts before the outcome. Faith acts ahead of sight. This widow, in obedience, went out and borrowed all the empty jars that she could lay her hands on. And I can imagine her neighbor's. Back then, you know, they lived so close to each other. Everybody knows what's going on in everybody else's life, and it's not like what we have today, and the privacies and all that. And, and I'm sure they all knew about it when they heard about it. They said, oh, poor old Snookums. She lost it. She lost her mind. She really has. Uh, poor old Snookums. We don't have her name, so I call her Snookums. And, uh, she's hallucinating. Poor old lady. She's seeing things. Oh, <laughs> Now, her mind really snapped under the pressure that she's been under. Beloved, please listen to me. What people say about you means nothing. Don't give a flip about it. But what it says about you in heaven, it matters. What God says about you matters. When your name is mentioned in heaven, what do they say? That's what really counts. So she expanded her capacity to receive from God. She maximized her capacity to receive from God. Uh, She expected great things from God because she knew she has a big God. Now, there are some people who miss out on this inexplicable blessings that are associated with meeting the condition of the promises of God. They really do. They impoverish themselves. Why? because they limit their capacity to receive. They impoverish themselves because they put God in a box. (laughs) Uh, They constrain their vision of God's faithfulness. They really do. They place boundaries on God's desire to bless them. They are stuck with the two lists of assets and liabilities. Someone said, when we get to heaven… We're going to look in the storehouses of heaven and we're going to see so many blessings with our names on it stayed there because they went unclaimed by God's children. I need to explain something before I conclude. In the Bible, oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. It's a symbol. Oil was not only used for cooking, uh, but also used for the anointing of prophets and the anointing of priests and the anointing of kings. Oil is always symbolic of God's blessing. Oil was symbolic of God's power. Oil was symbolic of God's Holy Spirit resting upon them. And that is why James said, when you pray for a sick person, anoint him with oil, the symbol of the Holy Spirit with all His power. Here's something that you should know. God loves to bless His children. He loves to see his children to be conduits, not reservoirs. He loves to see his children being channels, not puddles. (laughs) And that is why he blesses those who are channels, those who are conduits, because God wants to see his work go forward. And that is why Elisha said, here is a use of translation again, don't be (laughs) chinchy in expanding your capacity to receive. Don't just stop with few jars. Don't settle. There are so many Christians who have settled a long time ago just with few containers. Don't limit God's capacity to give you and for you to receive. Don't just have low vision of what God can do without obedience. Don't limit God. He's going to give you as much as your obedience Offers him. And that is why the moment there was no more empty jars, the oil stopped flowing. Beloved, please listen to me. God will only bless you to the, the capacity of what you make available to Him. God will only fill the empty places that you offer Him. God will bless what only you give Him. God will fill the size of your obedience. Let me ask you this. Has the Holy Spirit of God stopped being poured into your life? Have you just settled and the overflow has dried up? Have you stopped giving him empty jars so he may fill them a drop of oil and god said you're going to have an oil factory i know i know we live in such culture that we really cannot even think about what it means to live by faith from the world's perspective this does not make sense listen to me From the economic perspective, this is ludicrous. I know that, and you know that. From Wall Street's point of view, it is silly and not logical. Uh, But from God's perspective, it makes all the sense in heaven. God's condition for blessing you is not based on how the Dow Jones Industrial Average is doing, or the NASDAQ, or S&P, and all of this stuff but how your obedience is doing. How is your faithfulness to God? Are you meeting the condition? Some years ago, when William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, was in his 80s, and somebody said to him, he said, what is the secret of your success? <laughs> well, he winced, and, but then... He said if there is such a thing as secret of success it would be because God had all there is of me what is holding you back what is your ultimate credit score in the websites of heaven today you can say lord i'm going to meet the conditions i'm going to manifest confidence I'm going to maximize my capacity.